a playlist original. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Kill her, mommy. Kill her. We'll tear your soul apart. Live or die. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Back to the Blockbuster with your host, Gaius and Jackson. This is still considered our Tales of Horror uh, episodes, um, but it's a little different this week. Uh, no guest, and we're not talking about a specific movie, but we just wanted to switch it up and just have a general like horror chat discussion about the genre in general, whether it's uh, filmmakers or tropes or like anything that had to do with the genre that we wanted to kind of talk about. Um, we thought about maybe having guests for this one, but it was, you know, it's fine to have like a break. I think this kind of discussion works better with uh, just the two of us. Um, but we will be back to uh, having guests next week when we uh, bring the movies back. But we kind of, I think we just kind of miss just having each other. Yeah, <laughs> for, exactly. For a second. And coincidentally, by the time this drops, it'll be right in between September, October. So it kind of separates the months a little bit. And you're right. We've done a lot of, we've had a lot of, we've had a lot of guests on lately. We will have a lot more guests on as we get into October and a lot of more specific discussions about particular movies coming down the pipe. So yeah, I think this is just a great little nudge in the middle of all the different content that we've been putting out there and just getting back to sort of the, the basic format, but while keeping it in the spirit of spooky season and horror movies and whatnot. And, uh, Right. I don't know about you because we didn't chat too much off screen here, but it's been a great week movie watching like horror stuff for me personally. And just so happy to be back in the swing of things, like in especially as September has gotten later into the month and we're, you know, the leaves are turning color around here, the temperature's dropping. Like it's just really feeling like fall now. And uh, I'm just so in the spirit. It's great starting to see some decorations go up, like Halloween stuff. So yeah, it's full horror movie swing for me right now. But what did you get the chance to uh, catch up on? over the last week well well i have to agree it's getting that way too over here people are throwing up their decor i've never decorated for halloween or really but like but okay. uh, a lot of the places near us are doing it already uh which is good and it's it fairly on, early but yeah it's really early yeah and then on you know top of that i always like once i start seeing commercials for like amc's like fear fest and like other stuff uh on tv like i you Best know even time. though we start 
we started ours pretty early. You know, we started like early September, but you know, it officially starts for like TV and other stuff where they start like marathoning. I mean, I don't need to marathon the Halloween movies on AMC, but I it is kind of right. cool when you're like flicking by just so catch them on TV rather than like popping them in. It just feels different. Um, Definitely, but yeah. I love when like those channels are doing that, and like I guess a lot of like I think Friday the Thirteenth got added to HBO Max, so there's like a lot of the, all those movies are there now for people to watch. Um, everyone seems to be getting excited to watch uh, different horror films, and I've tried to mix it up. Like I've had it's been a mix of stuff we need to watch for this, right? And then things I just want to watch, and then when some of those things I just want to watch, I'm like, God, that would have been great to talk about. Um, oh, I felt the same way, <laughs> but like like we said, we can't like we can't. Talk about cram it all in movie. exactly yeah even in I two months i thought we I thought we could get a lot in in two months but you know the weeks fly by and then you have to <laughs> dedicate it to one movie and i know there's been times where we're like we're gonna record like two to kind of get a couple movie more movies in but right even then there's just too many choices that only uh, gives us like 10 or 11 movies across those two months to, if we do a single movie every week which really isn't that much in terms of horror i mean it is when yeah. that's all we're talking about but you're right it's just a drop in the bucket so i've been feeling your pain of like i watched like the thing for instance i was like man, as lauded as that movie is and like i'm sure many people will cover it for spooky season i'm like it would have been nice to have a conversation about it but yeah oh well <laughs> like there's <clears throat> lots of other stuff to cover but um what did you get in that you uh watch for, for gayest versus like stuff that you like prescribed viewing so um one of them was the full movie i so i forgot because we were you know we did urban legend last week and uh and that, that episode has gotten really a uh, good reception and i got we got i gotta thank zach cherry too because he shared mm -hmm. it across his uh his channels as well and um i actually got a message from another podcast they shared it on twitter and like saw that and like you know talked about that that being another good episode and i you know i think it was good too i was kind of wondering because like both our cabin fever episode and our urban legend episode were finished by playlists pretty much at the same time and i was like all right well which one do i want to do we drop first and i was like can it should i drop urban legend like on the day of mm, the mm -hmm. anniversary but i think it was good that it came out like the a few days before because it got they got some traction already and then uh yesterday which was like the official tw official 25th anniversary it got shared a lot on uh social media and stuff so i i think okay. it's good that we kind of spread it you know had it come out a little bit or a few days earlier and then also let it kind of have that day to uh for other fans to maybe listen to uh if they want to listen to a few different takes on it they uh they got to so that, that was cool um but I watched uh, that. There's a documentary on the Blu-ray that I hadn't. I thought I had watched uh, when I got the Blu-ray, but I guess I didn't. And okay. it's about an hour and a half uh, dedicated to the movie. And it's you know, I, horror documentaries like this are so interesting because you know, you look at Urban Legend, or maybe people look at it and they're like, oh, it's just like some random late '90s horror film. And the people, to the people <clears throat> that made it though, and to you know, talk about how successful it was when it came out, like they really felt like they were making something special so it's always different when uh the people involved are talking about like the ins and outs of like what it was like to make it oh and, totally and you know they got everyone uh, just about everybody except for jared leto was on the was on the documentary <laughs> was he just uh, over it uh, i guess that too big you know what they didn't they didn't even acknowledge him in that way they did say that he was uh wasn't bad to work with rebecca gayhart had talked about how 
they had worked together before and he was actually one of the guys in one of her Noxzema commercials and she told a story about how like when they met on set he was like oh don't tell anyone I was like in those commercials and she was like okay and that was like the first thing that she did she said when she uh oh, got my. on set was tell everyone <laughs> that they were in that together um they talked about coming some of the stuff that we talked about on the episode too like you know Robert England said that Rebecca Gayhart's the best thing about the movie and he stands by that today and you know she fought hard for that role they that they had to make sure that she was right because like we said when we were talking about it that it could easily be too campy and not work and and she found the right kind of balance i guess for them and and i think while watching it i mean you had you know some issues with the movie but like overall like her what she did probably i had no issues with her exactly yeah i know when she turned the crazy up that's when i really found the movie flourished she yeah. was a lot of fun to watch on screen, especially. I mean, I liked her throughout, but definitely once we kind of see where her character goes, for those maybe that haven't seen it yet, um, yeah, yeah, she dials it up to 10 and it's fantastic. That's cool, though. Yeah. I am really guilty and bad with watching special features on Blu rays and DVDs and stuff. I should really make an effort to do more of that. So I like when they're updated, like, like kind of documentaries on the movies like um, uh, the, the Blu ray also has like a vintage like featurette for when the movie came out and. You know, I find it hard to watch those because it's like there's nothing really anything new you're new, learning for yeah. something that was re- that was released in '98, and uh, but sometimes they did record a new audio commentary for. It. I didn't listen to that, but I'm I'm sure that's good too. They have that's the director and uh, one of the editors and a uh, production designer that works on it. Uh, that would be cool. But, Very insightful. But yeah, they, they talked about how you know. Uh, oh, I, I didn't know this either. I wish I would have mentioned it when we recorded, but Sylvia Horta, who wrote the movie, I had no idea he had passed away. I mean, pretty tragically, too, in 2020. Uh, oh, recently. He, uh, he, yeah, he had a, he struggled a lot with depression and addiction, I guess, and he ended up sadly killing himself in 2020. But um, he's on that uh, Blu-ray, and okay. uh, Urban Legend was his first, like, big pitch uh, in Hollywood, and uh, one of those kind of rare success stories where like one of your first pitches gets accepted and then uh and <laughs> they you know and, they, and it was just the right time because they were like every studio wanted their scream like they wanted uh, right a slasher movie and it was just good timing for him and you know phoenix pictures they're the ones that ultimately distributed it um they said to this day it is phoenix pictures most profitable movie uh and they, That's you know, the they legacy. talked a little, talked a little bit about the sequel. They said they kind of misstepped on that, but uh, you know, that first movie they thought was really special, and they don't think it's a scream clone. And I kind of, well, I'm as per your that. your yeah, yeah, I saw like a clip, uh, the thumbnail of your piece that you'd written about the movie. I haven't had the chance to read it yet. Um, <clears throat> but I would love to. I saw that, so that's pretty cool. I'm excited for that read. You are a very great writer. Well, thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, so so I wa- I watched that. And then I watched, because uh, we talked about Valentine on the episode, I watched that right after watching that documentary. And I usually watch Valentine, like, of course, around Valentine's Day. There's always the ones, like, is this, movies that, like kind of, for those that maybe directed. don't know, is it My yeah, Bloody Valentine? Director. No, no. It's uh, so Jamie Blanks, who directed Urban Legend, directed a movie. It came out like in the early 2000s. So this is like towards the end oh, of like the okay, okay. S- slasher movie boom. Right, uh, but it, uh, Denise Richards is in it. Marley Shelton, uh, David Boreanaz, Catherine Heigl's in the opening scene. Uh, oh, okay. Pretty, pretty decent cast, and it's very like slick, slick, and nice to look at. A lot of pretty people are in it. It when I first saw it in theaters, I didn't love it, and I think because that my love for the slasher movies even then was like waning a little bit. Right. But like in the years since, it like it kind of has developed a 
have a cult following and uh it's fun for what it is and i still maintain that it's one of those ones that had another uh big blu-ray uh reissue with a documentary on it. i didn't watch the documentary but um i watched the movie again it's just a fun slasher movie and so, i enjoyed it admission time the entire last episode when it was was it you and zach talking about valentine, uh, valentine? I yeah, literally yeah. thought you were just uh, abbreviating my bloody Valentine. My bloody Valentine. I literally did not clue <laughs> into that until right now. So I'm like, oh, and I hadn't seen that either, which is why I wouldn't have gotten, like, not understanding what you're talking about in the movie. I'm, so, so that like, is funny. That's exactly what I thought you were talking about. Cliff knows Virgin. This kid gets picked on at a school dance, at a Valentine's school dance. Like all these like stuck up girls like make his life miserable at this Valentine's Day dance. Years later, these girls are all grown up. And uh, someone wearing a Cupid like cherub mask is going around, like kind of killing them off one by one. Okay. And then we have to figure out have to figure out who uh, if it actually is Jeremy, who was the kid at the beginning, or is it someone else that is? Uh, it has it's very much like it has like I don't know if you ever saw Prom Night in the eighties. It's a slash movie with Jamie Lee Curtis. I was gonna but say Prom has, Night in Carrie. It's very, it feel, it's very reminiscent. It feels very reminiscent of that, where it's the whole like we did this awful thing when we were kids, and now right. it's like coming back to haunt us and it, it really if you look at it now and like look at it in the from the lens of like it really is like an homage to 80s slasher okay. movies it's I like that much better in that regard i've seen the 2008 um, remake but i don't remember anything about it i'm sure it's oh shit, I, and then, and then, and then, uh yo god prompt the remake uh yeah the only in name only because it's not even the same like plot oh really oh okay yeah. in name only i love uh, yeah that's awesome yeah yeah, and then, yeah I saw that i saw that on opening night when it came out and <sighs> You know, there's some good horror remakes, and then there's some shitty ones, and that's that's one of the shitty ones. Right. Um, I was but I kept it going, one. kept mm-hmm. it going with more slasher movies, and I watched Sorority Row after, uh, maybe a day or two after Valentine. Okay, and, that one uh, doesn't so, ring any bells for me myself. Okay. Sorority Row is a remake of House of Sorority Row that came out in the 70s. Um, they made it into more of a slasher movie where uh, there, there's this like big sorority party with all these sorority girls. Um, they like f- this girl. F- they fake drugging one of the girls as a prank, and oh, great. Um, the guy prank. and and one of the bo- the boyfriend of the girl is involved in said prank and think that she is dying. So they take her to the, these like bluffs or whatever to like keep the prank going. And they're like, "All right, we're gonna end it. We're gonna let him know that this is all a joke." And he's so paranoid that he's gonna get caught for drugging her. He kills her for real, like on the bluffs and then it's one of those again one of those like which is why i probably watch it again those kind of that story of like oh my god we have to hide this thing and then like they dump her body and then a year later of course oh these girls yes are being, on the these girls are being like hunt down by uh you know the costumes get more and more ridiculous it's like it's almost like this kind of like fraternity like sorority fraternity kind of robe hoodie thing okay to cover the killer's face and she he, she got killed with like a tire iron he like shoved it through her chest Oh and God. the weapon and the weapon for the killer is like a tricked out like tire iron with like blades <laughs> on the end of it. And, oh <laughs> and I'm not saying that this movie is like particularly like really, really good, but it's fun. But it could be, yeah, and, you can have cheesy Halloween slasher movies that so enjoy. And there's like the girls do a really good job. I mean, like the, the cast isn't like t- totally well known, but they they all play, you know, various forms of like bitchy sorority girl really well right <laughs> and, okay. and then with, with the exception of one who's like you know the one that felt really bad of course there's always the lead yes. that's like oh what we have to come clean and then there's like the uber uber bitchy one that's like no fuck that it's been a year why why do we need to come clean <laughs> right, uh, right 
Uh, but it's it's all it's there's some really cool freaking deaths. I want to tell you one, but it's probably best if you ever saw it to like see it for yourself. Okay. But but there is some there's some really good over the top. Would I like, would I eat it up? Like, yeah, you would eat it up because you like gore. And, exactly. And it, yeah, it's, that's what I'm. It's thinking. really gore. Now the movie the movie flops like crazy when it came out in theaters, but it's another one. Uh, once it came out on like Blu-ray and stuff that found its own life and some people like it more than the original it's very different from the original but uh okay. yeah yeah it's like again one of those kind of movies that um it's interesting when they come out like i saw that in theaters too barely anyone in our theater uh but at this point this is i forget when it came out i think mid 2000s and this, that that kind of horror movie was not as popular anymore the slasher movie was kind of dead again and, and yeah. been taken over by like you know torture porn and uh the new found footage all that uh and all that but it was it was trying to hop on the remake train too but it kind of hopped on late and it's also it's a remake of a a, like horror fans real like big horror fans know house sorority row but it's not like a well-known entirely well-known that had gone over my head i maybe if i heard the title before and i'd forgotten i'm not sure but i couldn't have told you a thing about it that's a so it's pretty uh niche i'd love to hear that yep and then um and then i watched uh i'm just telling you i watched the fog I watch it every yeah. the start of every kind of spooky season. I kind of, I was telling you offline. I I don't know why I don't save it more until like October, but it is like a good, like kind of little creepy start to it because it's like old school like ghost story and like mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the atmosphere and mood that movie is so good. I know John Carpenter has issues with it, even though I think a lot of his fans have grown to really like it and I really think it's one it of his better movies. Time. Yeah. Um, I know he I know he has some issues with you know like he felt it wasn't scary enough and like you know he did punch up some scenes later with like uh, a little bit a few more kills from the uh the ghosts and all that like right and, like were sprinkled in in the movie but I I love that it's it's not particularly scary but it's like kind of unsettling like you kind of feel the vibe of like that town like what Antonio Bay is like and then what it kind of would be like on a night like that once like all the scenes towards the climax where the fog is like rolling in across the entire town yeah. is like genuinely really creepy i thought all that stuff oh, definitely. Really good. and also thought it's really interesting and cool like the lead basically adrian barbeau is like isolated from the rest of the cast like she's basically has to like warn them from the radio station like right. where to go and like warn them like where the fog like the, the fog is moving like due east like don't like go this way go that way i thought that was really interesting too that you know i when you watch it you're like oh yeah she doesn't really have scenes with everyone else just her son at, at earlier in the movie right yeah. And, uh, and then, and then you have Jamie, the climax, right? And then you have the climax. And then Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, you know, she only agreed to do the fog. She did Halloween, and mm-hmm. it was a big, you know, big deal for her. And there, there was hopes of her becoming a movie star after that. And she didn't get any movies after Halloween. She got a lot of TV shows. And uh, John Carpenter was like, "Well, hey, like I'm doing this. Do you want to do it?" And she was like, "She hadn't done another movie since Halloween, so she did it." Well. And you know, of course, it started a. a train of like you know it's the fog and i think prom night terror train halloween 2 for her after that okay. so that's that, so that's how she so solidified her status as like a scream queen pretty right much. The scream um, queen. but she's plastered all over the key art and poster for the fog and you know she's not the lead in it i mean she has a decent sized part and it is cool that her mom's in it like they share like not like scenes together where they're interacting, but they're in the same group scenes together. Um, I didn't so know they uh, were in a movie together before 
H2O. Uh, H2O. So, yeah. Janet Lee is like, I think the mayor or something of the town. And, uh, and she actually man. has most, most of Janet Lee's scenes are actually with uh, Nancy Loomis, who plays Annie in Halloween. She plays uh, Lori's best friend. Right. So like all of her, all of her scenes are with her basically. Oh. But it's a really fun mix match kind of cast. And it like, it's just interesting. Like Tommy Atkins is cool in it too. Like there's just a, it's a really fun movie. And I think it deserves a lot more credit than maybe Carpenter himself even gives it. Um, he, but he, I mean, I guess you would be more like critical of your work. He would certainly, yeah. And he he pumped that out in between Halloween and the Thing, right? Is that 1980 that he that the yeah? It's after yes after Halloween. So there's a lot of pressure, right, to like live up to what Halloween was. And I think the decision to make another scary movie was they were like, okay, we should do that because we have that momentum of making a scary movie, right? Um. I mean, I mean, yeah, he proved with the thing, right? That it was—he's not a one-trick pony. He can make another no. frightening movie in a and in a different continue genre. Continue to prove I, that after the thing, too. right? You know, I, you know, I, you know, there's no secret. I, you, too, I mean, you love it too, but you more—you're more of a thing over Halloween. Exactly. But like, yeah. I mean, I think Halloween is like kind of lighting the bottle. I think. I mean, you don't. It's it's very unique in its approach, and like, I think mm-hmm. the way. I think him approaching in a way where he's like, I'm not making a franchise. This is just a single one. I mean, of course it became that later, but like a single vision, right. uh, You know, his idea of Michael Myers isn't, you know, he's not Laurie Strode's brother. He's not this and that. This is just a random guy who committed his crime when he was like a young kid because he's evil and he's evil personified. That's it. He only chooses to go after Laurie when she drops off the key at the house. He sees her. He fixates on her, and then that's it. There's no other plot points right. other than like, you know, new prey, and that's all. <laughs> so like, that's scarier to me than like, oh well, you know, he's her brother, or mm-hmm. the other sequels where they're like, oh, there's like this like cult and curse, and like when the stars do this on Halloween, like this happens, <laughs> like that's all stupid. I just rather it be like random, and I think Does that come from season more... of the witch that stuff. No, no. So season of the witch is like the third one that has nothing to do with Michael Myers at all. It's like it's a they were gonna they were trying to make like an anthology uh after Halloween two, they were like, We don't want to do Michael Myers anymore. We'll we'll just make anthology Halloween movies, we'll keep the title and just change that, you know, the plot every year. And that didn't work out because everyone was like, no. Oh, we've had two movies with Michael Myers and what what is this? So it flopped. Right. Now, Season of the Rich today has a much better reputation, like far removed from uh right. You know when it came out, but the whole cult thorn Halloween thing starts in Halloween five a little bit, and then really is the major plot point of Halloween six, and it's really I dumb. see. Um, but yeah, uh, and you know, yeah, but yeah, when you look at some, when you look at yeah, when you look at stuff like the fog though, it's like, man, like don't be so hard on yourself. Like that movie is good in a, in a different way than Halloween. I mean, it's not. I don't think it's exactly. one of the greatest horror films ever made, but like it. It if you if your intention was to create like an old school classic ghost story, I think he did a good job of doing exactly. That. And the hallmark of any Carpenter film is it's very atmospheric, and that's like comes it's the first thing that comes to mind when thinking about the fog. Like I've only seen it the once a couple of years ago now, but I'm gonna yeah. throw that in. I think my rewatch calendar for October, uh, along with a couple other Carpenters, because I'm just riding that Carpenter high right now. Um, I got three of his movies in this week, um, and he's one of my favorite horror directors and there's a couple of movies of his that i'm due for a rewatch for so i figured why not they weren't even necessarily on my radar until i just noticed i had just watched a bunch of his movies this week but i yeah. figured why not and then halloween will be coming down the pipeline later so i figured that's just another notch in the belt may as well just continue it um yeah but i started the week off 
and I guess I, before I get into that, is that did you see anything else of note? No, no, that was, that was well. So you're busy. That's like what four watches? Well, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I did see a haunting in Venice, and there's not a lot to go into on that. Right. I will say, uh, you know, you were at. I mean, you were like, hey, I wonder how much the supernatural angle is a part of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, were it's we a, right it's, wrong? it's like kind of bait and switch, but they use it pretty well. I will say that, like, it you get the impression that it could be okay, and uh, but you, we had to. I mean, we had to like the books are set in like a real world kind of setting i see um, okay so but they did utilize it well and i actually think despite not having like the biggest like name ensemble cast compared to like murder on the Orient express and death of the nile i thought this group was better i actually like i liked it more than death of the nile i still think murder on the Orient express is my favorite of the three okay so far uh tina fey was amazing i had no idea tina fey was gonna be good in this oh, it didn't okay. seem like a tina fey like kind of role no but then once she started once she started doing it and what the part is because she's a very like kind of fast talking like novelist she's like basically writing like mystery novels and stuff okay. and uh she fit the part really well she's like probably one of the standouts and, and jamie dornan was really good too outside of the 50 shades of gray movies the guy <laughs> is a uh, very good actor as well so i really and then of course kelly brown was amazing he, I, he knows that part like the back of his hand yeah exactly he was born for that um i feel like jamie dornan is just like this generation's like uh robert pattinson twilight era you know what i mean <laughs> like yeah, that's what the it's funny is that they're all for him it's funny they're friends they're like uh they oh, all kinda, okay right on they all they all kind of like when they're becoming actors they all kind of like roomed and together uh him jamie dornan uh andrew garfield they all know each other they have this like little british oh, thing, okay you know, cool Almost, almost feels like a real british fraternity <laughs> that I they I were, like, get andrew garfield is british but yeah totally <laughs> yeah um but yeah that, that was it uh for me what okay. about i know you you had a carpenter uh marathon basically a mini one in a really, yeah exactly <laughs> exactly in a really weird order i pretty much almost worked backwards in terms of like releases but i'd never seen prince of darkness before for those um that haven't seen it or maybe have seen it and don't realize it's like the middle movie of his i don't know who coined this if this is something that fans have kind of made or if carpenter had this intention when he was making these movies but he has like this apocalypse trilogy as i'm sure that you, you're aware of which began with yeah. the thing and then uh 1987 he does prince of darkness and then is it 94 he does in the yeah, mouth of madness? madness yeah yeah which i had seen for the first time last year but i'd never seen prince of darkness and i was like okay well i gotta get that in and cam had gotten me the dvd i think for my birthday this year so i popped that in one night not really knowing what to expect um I think I've seen reviews and stuff of before and it's Carpenter who was like one of my favorites. That movie yeah. floored me. I was, I loved every minute of that movie it was awesome. It took a minute to really dig. It's like get its nails into me. And then once things started kind of unraveling, um, I was like hooked to that movie. I really, really enjoyed it. It'll probably be one of those ones I rewatch a few times in a short time span just to really like cement. Yeah, but that was a really really cool John Carpenter first time watch of which I have a few and some like I mentioned I will be uh, you know adding to those rewatches this spooky season, and then after that so I had plans this week uh, I don't know if I mentioned in the, one of the last episodes that we had filmed or if I had just told you this offline but I had my buddy Tyler in the off chance he's listening shout out to him um, he <laughs> watched halloween for the first time and he's like oh he, was, was i telling you about the, this the, yeah, i think so so he shit on halloween and like don't don't <laughs> if you knew time it's, <laughs> it's hilarious like, i would never expect him to like halloween like that's very older for movies for a guy that like he likes movies and all but like that's a, a little bit out of his comfort zone i'm imagining so you know he probably went into it as you'd expect didn't really find wasn't his cup of tea so i was like we've had a conversation where i was like explaining 
to him, like the legacy of it and how impactful of a horror movie it is and trying to get him to reconcile with, you know, the age and it's not like a modern horror movie, but blah, 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 blah. But he, he's actually, he's kind of inspired me to kind of like use letterbox a little bit more frequently. So we've been like, I've been documenting my watches there and looking at his reviews of stuff because he logs his watches pretty uh, religiously. And um, he had heard a lot of the thing. And uh, like just reached out and wanted to see it. And because he, uh, I think during our Halloween conversation, I must have gone on a, a rabbit hole about John Carpenter and how good the thing was and all that jazz. So we, he came over and we watched the thing and he, <laughs> there were multiple times I'd look over after like a particularly like jaw dropping effect scene. And I could just tell he was really enjoying it. He, he very much enjoyed that movie, which was great. Like there was a couple of times he was like, dude, that was fucking awesome. And I just put a smile on my face. Um, never to, you can never watch the thing too many times. I think that's probably the movie I've seen the most yeah. now. Granddaddy of practical effects, I think. And like, I'd seen it last year. I'd shown another friend for the first time that movie. And I'm sure I had seen it the year before, if not a couple of years. So it's been a long, like I've seen it a lot in the last few years and it just never gets old. I hard to say if it's not one of my, top three favorite movies i think still but uh what yeah. have you seen more between that halloween or the thing or is it clear Hall- one or the other halloween for sure i mean yeah. I, I it's it's more i mean i like the thing a lot and i actually like it with more with each viewing right yeah me too. Uh, more and more always just more my bag i mean i i like yeah, yeah, yeah. sci-fi horror a bit but uh halloween is definitely more up my alley but i've seen that right. more for sure but i do respect right i mean most most people i know either are like Halloween and then the thing is on its heels, or it's the thing and like Halloween is they on are its heels. usually the and, two then, and then that after that it's like there. a it's like a mismatch of like yeah the third fourth fifth movies are like flip flop as well depending on definitely but those two are titans of Carpenter's filmography without a doubt yeah um honestly like it's got me wondering if I want to rewatch the 2011 uh prequel reboot sort of thing not necessarily a reboot. I think like the what I remembered I liked it. Uh, I like it. It's a shame that it goes the CGI route. Use, yeah, and that wasn't the plan at first. I think they no. screened it. They screened it, and they were like, "Oh, they this needs more like effects." And then what like the director shame. was actually pretty upset that they uh, CGI would a lot of it. Um, but I think that's another one that like years later, people were like, "Oh, like once they were like, I I think it wasn't made clear at first when it was coming out that it was a prequel per se, and like they were like, "Oh, this is a remake." whatever right. of course when you saw it you knew it was a prequel but i think exactly leading up leading up to it it, it wasn't clear you know, it, was our, it wasn't clear but it's definitely not as good as, it, as that movie uh, no but it is and, and, if we're, and, if, and if we're talking about offshoots of carpenter horror films it's better than i mean whatever it's better than halloween uh rob zombies halloween i'll throw that out there okay and yeah, it's yeah. and it's <laughs> way better than that fog remake the fog remake is awful I meant um, to bring that up when you were talking about the fog that <laughs> was victim to the remake years later, the two thousand. Yeah, remake where like they right? every studio was like, "What? What did we have it remade yet?" <laughs> right, that was like part of that. You know, that's a shame. I don't know if I've ever seen the remake like as a kid or not. I was just confused or like I was kind of like not sure about the mist and the fog if they were remakes of each other, if they were the same thing or blah blah blah. I obviously come to realize now the difference, but it wasn't yeah. until recently I'd seen. I knew that John Carpenter had done the original, but. That is definitely going my rewatches. But uh, after the thing, I mean, I won't spend any more time talking about it. There's nothing new to be said about that movie. But I wa- I rewatched um, for the second time Christine, which I think he did right after the thing. Uh, so shout out to our boy Stephen King, one of the better adaptations of his work, I think, up there for sure. That was just another great little treat. Um, just way more profane than I remember it being. There's a lot of like 
I guess, foul language in that movie, which <laughs> I, I always just enjoy. I just find it, it grounds a movie more because this is how people like talk. Yeah. Um, not particularly gory. Um, not that I can remember anyway, but uh, still. Not really, yeah, I don't think no, so. not really. Not, not, but just a, you know, atmospheric John Carpenter movie. I love what he does with Stephen King's work. I feel like those guys just really bounce well off each other. And um, I honestly think like, I'm sure it's more apparent in the novel, which I've never read, but have you, first of all, have you seen Christine? I'm sure. I have seen it. I have yeah. seen it, yeah. It's when was the last time you've seen that? Yeah? Uh, like, well, years, I think. Really I would, solid I would, say, I would say 10. Oh, goodness. Wow. It's been that, okay. it's been that long. Yeah, I, I had a lot of fun. I... <laughs> yeah, yeah, Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> um, But I, I'm sure it's more apparent in the novel how, like, and for those, I'm sure a lot of people, like, realize it's like the movie where the car is alive and kills people. But yeah. I thought the movie this time around, anyway, was so much more ambiguous as to whether it was actually alive or if um because it does a good job of like not showing you the interior when during the scenes where it's like chasing people down and like yeah being alive and i like kind of found myself wondering like is arnie like the main character actually the one being possessed and taking revenge on the bullies and killing people with the vehicle or is it christine really alive i thought it was just cool to ponder i'm sure there's a yeah yeah um i think another more analytical watch could probably provide a definite answer, but I found myself watching being like, I think there's enough room in here to kind of see both sides, but great ending too. I don't know if you recall. Um, yeah. Remember, one of my I favorite that. carpenter endings where they, yeah, Christine is all in the junkyard, all bunched up in a cube of metal and steel. And yeah. as the characters walk away, you just see the piece bending. It's just a really yeah. cool touch to the end. But uh, yeah. So that was my carpenter marathon. This By the way, that movie turns, 40 right december 9th so uh um, december yeah re- re- weird <laughs> um, really weird so so you might be able to have a more analytical watch and discussion about it if you want uh down below true and i guess that uh yeah it takes place over like i think a six month period and ends around new year's like the in terms of like the plot of the movie so yeah kinda, that's interesting and filmed know. in and around various areas of los angeles and like and then some places like an hour out from here so it's like a lot of it's oh are, neat okay a lot of, a lot of movies are, are filmed over by you yeah um you know halloween halloween 2 uh they they after halloween 2 they took them out like halloween 4 and 5 are in utah uh oh, what <laughs> weird. Uh, weird yeah they filmed there um i think halloween 6 might be there too and then huh. yeah they i love the i like halloween 2 and that's at least what i love about the first halloween halloween 2 is even though it is supposed to be like a small town like Illinois, the, the places that they picked in in and around LA feel that way. But right. like if you were to walk around the corner, you'd be like, oh, that looks very much like Los Angeles. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's just, it's just cool what people get in their small little like, you know, we yeah, just yeah. need this street, this street right here. Like And you'd never know it. it could be anywhere in middle America. <laughs> right, exactly. But um yeah, so definitely Halloween is coming down the pipeline, like the movie. So that'll be another card yeah. to watch. And then I'm sure I really like to get in the mouth of madness in this again this year, just because I don't remember a lot of it. I saw it the one time, and it'd be nice to just get all of his apocalypse trilogy in in like a month or two. Yeah. It'd be neat. Um, and the fog, you've definitely put that on my radar too to rewatch that because that's just such a seminal Carpenter movie. Yeah, but, and I got that in 4K. It looks great. Ooh, I bet it does. Especially yeah. the nighttime sequences with the fog rolling in would oh, look great. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, it's crazy how that looks better. Like that came out what eighty, I think. Yeah, uh, and it looks better than anything they did in the remake. <laughs> like the re- the remakes fog is like it's a lot and you're like but it doesn't it looks like it looks like it was made from right. a machine or like with like or maybe like enhanced with like cgi as well right. and like 
uh, what they did in uh, this is so much better. And the same can be said exactly about the thing as well, which is just a testament to his craft. But all this to say, especially after this week, like I have to give him like the credit for being one of, if not, I would say my favorite horror director. And that's like a, a, a person who's like directed, not exclusively horror movies, but maybe is known for them. But yeah, it, it wanted me to ask you what your favorite, who your favorite horror director would be like someone who hasn't just dabbled once or twice, but is like kind of known for directing horror movies. Like, does anybody come to mind for you? Because that's, I, I think my answer solidified with Carpenter these days. I go back and forth on this because okay. I feel like it should, I feel like it should be Carpenter because of Halloween. There's no right or wrong answer. Um, But I've always leaned more towards Wes Craven mm. over Carpenter. And okay. my, 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 blame me one bit. Reason, my reason for that is um, I think there aren't a lot of horror directors. I'm trying to think of anyone else that that writes and directs. And and, and, and the, well, in the same way that uh, Wes Craven did it, where Wes Craven made had like the 70s, 80s, and 90s, where he kind of reinvented or at least made these like very seminal like horror films that kind of defined uh, the genre. So in the 70s, he does Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes. And in the 80s, right. he does A Nightmare on Elm Street. And then, of course, in the 90s, he does Scream. And then that reinvigorates his career where he does the sequel to Scream, isn't even more successful. And he kept that going. He was able to do like something like Red Eye because of the success of Scream. Like He was able to kind of keep his career uh, right. going. And, and that was I don't late, know if a lot of... Later in his career. Yeah. Was, yeah and I don't know years. if a lot of other horror directors uh, have done that, really. I mean, like, Carpenter had success in the, of course, late 70s with Halloween and then the 80s, but and you know, and his output in the 80s is probably better than Wes Craven's because Wes Craven did on Elm Street, and of course, there was just like Shocker, which isn't great, and like a lot <laughs> a few other movies one. in the 80s that aren't great. Um, okay. but but then like Carpenter, once you get into the 90s, after In the Mouth of Madness, it's like, yeah, it's definitely not his best decade by any means, no, yeah, and that is like my great with carpenter i mean i think vampires was his last movie for a while a theatrical movie uh that carpenter okay. did with james woods and that wasn't really good um but i think west craven actually was able to like i said like yeah i mean it's hard i mean you think of all, all the rest of them like you know toby hooper did texas chainsaw massacre and mm. then there's a big debate about who the he direct poltergeist or did, <laughs> yeah. or did steven spielberg direct poltergeist um you have romero with like the the night of the living dead and dawn of the dead stuff and i I, I think for some people that might be true for them that he might be a favorite, but mm -hmm. I'm not really a huge fan of like zombie movies. It just depends. It has to be like something unique, I guess. And I agree. To it. I love Romero, but the zombie genre I feel like is kind of a one trick pony. It's really hard to innovate, harder yeah. to innovate, I guess, in that genre movies and others. But I still respect him as you know the, the granddaddy of zombie. But I'm with you totally. I agree. Not my favorite genre by any means. Um, but he is a great. I really like his uh. The crazies as well is kind of like an underrated. That's a good remake too, by shuffle. the way. Yeah, uh, I love they that did remake. When they did it right yeah, that was that's a, a solid, great remake. Uh, yeah, and I don't think people talk about it enough in the sense of like, oh, that's a really good one. That would uh, be a good one for us to cover too, man. Damn it! Yeah, yeah. But I've seen I it know, like twelve times, <laughs> <laughs> like so literally like, so many times. Yeah, but it's good. I like, but I think Craven overall, like I was bummed when Wes Craven passed away. I was that. No, was, that was a big. That was uh, a, that a sucked. Tough one, and uh, you know, but. 
everyone and everyone that worked with him said that he was like a really nice guy. And I think the biggest misconception is that because he made all these very scary movies that he might be a weirdo and he wasn't. He just kind of believed uh, that horror movies kind of like exercise these kind of like feelings that you might have. He's kind of like you, they allow you to like let go of this kind of like whatever anxiety it is because it's, right. it's fake. It's not real. You get to kind of like have these emotions and like let them go. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why he loves horror movies so much. He got to, I think he directed like Music of the Heart, which wasn't a horror film with Meryl Streep, oh, okay. but he, she, she got an Oscar nomination for that. So he directed her to an Oscar nomination. Um, and like I said, all his movies aren't great. There, you know, there's Vampire in Brooklyn with Eddie Murphy is not good. Um, <laughs> oh God. But, but then, but then you look at like, uh, you know, even with Wes Craven's new nightmare, like that comes out in 94 and he's doing the whole meta movie within the movie thing before Scream does it, especially right. with Scream 2. And like, you know, that was like everyone now is like, oh, like he was already kind of without even realizing it, commenting on the the effects of cinema on like the people that watch it and then the creators of it. Like when you look at Wes Craven's new nightmare, that part of the story where like something that he created on the page became so evil that it became real. And that right. that is what, uh, you know, that became like the conceit of the movie. Now, now it's not about this guy that's haunting you in your nightmares. It's like you know this fiction that we wrote. It has a, taken on a life of its own, mm-hmm. and and not only is and now it's also affecting the people who were a part of it. So like for Heather Langenkamp, it's affecting her son, and then you know it's not really affecting like it's interesting how what Robert England's role in that because he. Mm. It's very much normal. He's an actor, but there's also this fine line you can tell with some of his scenes too, where it's it seems like it's consuming him because he's like there's that one scene where he's like kind of painting the portrait of Freddie, and like you can tell that he's thinking about Freddie too. And I just thought it was just an interesting idea about how like that that kind of cinema might might affect the people who work on it. And I and that was just a smart idea. I mean, it wasn't. I, I think people were like resistant to it at the time because it wasn't like a typical nightmare mainstream. No, even just a movie concept in general. Like he was very much ahead of his time in terms of like the meta approach yeah. to, to his content. Um, when you say, I want to just backtrack for a second. You say when you, this is you flip flopped a lot. Um, do you say? Did you mean between Wes Craven and John Carpenter? And, Car- and, Car- and Carpenter. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know. And it's because of ha- it's because of Halloween. It's like it's Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> Right and like, but and Halloween's like not only what like one of my not my favorite. It's my favorite horror movie, but it's also one of my favorite movies. Like top definitely five. So like it's okay. I mean like so he like you know he made the granddaddy of horror movies for me, but like it's also consistency and like his early stuff yes. is good. So like you know it's it's just yeah. that it wanes as it goes on. But also Wes Craven has that too in a lot of ways. But I think the. The um, the movies that he put out that I think that fans would consider classics um, stand out a lot. Like Agreed. people love the, the, the Hills Have Eyes and Last House on the Left. I Nightmare on Elm Street is up there with you know some of the greatest horror movies for a lot of people. One of my favorite horror movies, um, easily top five. And then and then he brought the horror genre back with Scream with the help of Kevin Williamson. So I mean that is a gonna be improv for that big deal. Too. I think. Yeah. So that's why you know. I think that's a great answer. Wes Craven, yeah. Carpenter is a good choice, though. Like, I, you know, Halloween. I mean, I, for me, too, it's like I've seen more Carpenter movies than Wes Craven movies. So that's a factor. And I think I like my Carpenter movies more than I like my Wes Craven movies. But I mean, there's, again, like any opinion with art, like that changes over time and your relationship with those movies. Yeah, exactly. But I, 
yeah, I've been meaning to see the Hills have eyes for a long time. It's one of the, those seminal Wes Craven movies I have not seen yet. So I got to get that. I think the remake is of both of those movies. uh, Last house on the left and Hills have eyes is technically a better film. Cause you know, you know, the, those two movies are a product of their time. So like there yes. it's very much low, 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 low budget 70s mm-hmm. horror movie. Almost like uh like Last House of the Left almost like a it looks like a stuff film almost. Like that's how yeah. cheap it looks. <laughs> right. And but that but that also gives it some of its like power though, is that it feels Agreed. real and like, a little bit grimy and gross. And that's the and, same thing with yeah. the Hills Have Eyes. Um, but what the remakes do, there's like all those key scenes in Last House on the Left and the Hills Have Eyes that the remakes had to be tasked with recreating. And I think they do them very well. Where it's Plays like, to oh, the advantage, is, I'm sure. Yeah, that that's also, I mean, I remember we saw the Hills Have Eyes and once they attack the motorhome and like shit gets real, like people started walking out. And so I, was, <laughs> I mean, that's it. So that's it gets pretty aggressive. Like it gets really brutal. It's a but, sign of a lot of good but, horror movies. Yeah. But, you know, but that blueprint starts with Wes Craven though. So yeah. Yeah. So that's why I, he's, he All stops right. for me, but but we I would love to. Like, I might put the question out there for other people who are their favorite horror movie uh, directors, like of all time, might be you know give you give an option to choose one. I know it'd be easier to be like, well, this person, that person, but we want you to narrow it down to like one. So we'll put a poll up or a question up and see which one you give us. I, I think we're gonna get a lot of Carpenter, Craven. I think a lot of Romero, right? Too. I mean, those are a good trifactor right there. And it's like it's so crazy too when you talk about like the people that have like the one offs, like. Not like really Kubrick necessarily one off. Comes Kubrick, to mind. and then yeah. like Kai Barker with Hellraiser. I mean, it's not really like a one off for him, but like right. that's what he's really known for, right? So like, yeah, it's interesting when there's people like that where it's like, oh, well, you made a really good one though, <laughs> like a really right. like, and like I would associate movie. him as a horror. Like that's what he is associated with, right? Right. But, like for instance, Stanley Kubrick having done The Shining, like that's definitely as much as that's one of the greatest horror movies ever and one of his greatest. He's by no means yeah. a horror director, just a director that's done exactly. a horror movie so there's a little bit of a word play there but uh, i oh clive barker and hellraiser which i mean and then oh, you think man. about like bob clark who directed the original black christmas i mean like i think that is his only true horror movie on his resume okay. and black black christmas came out like before halloween and like it has a lot of the same you know the whole like pov of the killer not really seeing the killer a lot of like hidden stuff like in it oh, okay that that predates halloween and it's actually there's certain scenes in black Christmas that are really scary the way they're like uh framed and like set up but i think after that he did like he did like porkies he did uh <laughs> god why am i blanking on the christmas movie where the kid gets his tongue stuck on the oh lot. oh uh, my gosh a christmas story uh, a christmas a christmas story he did yeah, that yeah. too he directed that oh wow but, so yeah so there's always like these directors that have like one like you know you never did it again so i just interesting really but yeah, but since we we're naming people who like consistently went to the horror movie well, and yeah, mm-hmm. it's Craven for me. But Carpenter is a respectful answer yes. as well. No wrong answers either. Um, I want to cut into this with a little bit of news that's kind of related to John Carpenter because it okay. starts with it starts with something he created. Okay, uh, you know, uh, Halloween Ends came out last year, and that was the end of the David Gordon Green uh, Halloween trilogy. Uh, the marketing was all about the final battle between Laurie Strode and Michael Myers. That was supposed to be the end. But even when they were promoting Halloween ends, like they were like, Hey, it's out of our hands out of this third movie. I'm sure they will go back and make another one. Oh, and, yes. And uh, here's what's going on now. 
Uh, it says that Miramax is looking to the future with the Halloween franchise, and they are uh, they are actively uh, shopping the rights uh, around Hollywood. They said at the moment there is a huge bidding war going on right now with several different parties interested in buying to resurrect Michael Myers once again. Uh, Miramax is open to both film and television projects, and they're currently taking offers from studios and streamers. After that story got released, they said that Paramount seems to be the one that's ahead, and now Paramount has Scream. So I understand why they want Halloween, right. um, and then and then Malik Akkad, who whose father was Mustafa Akkad, who uh, put up a lot of the money on the original Halloween. Um, he what he wants in addition to a movie, he would like a six episode television series that um, uses the focus of Halloween three season of the witch, like something that focuses on that story, which would be a really good get for those fans of that particular Halloween. Okay. Um, you know I. Here, here's the deal. I, I looked at Twitter and social media yesterday. There are a lot of people who were stoked that Halloween's coming back. There were some people that are like, can we put it to rest for a little bit longer? Or can it just be done? I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, um, that's where I fall, for but, sure. But today, I was like, you know what? I get all that, but I was like, I still love that this franchise is viable enough that it is still at the subject of a bidding world where someone wants it, and they think that there is still something to be made from it this is yes. something that a lot of the, the bigger ones that from back in the day don't have right now like friday the 13th has not so much anymore but was wrapped up in like legal litigation for a really long time a nightmare on elm street hasn't done anything since its remake as well and halloween has still year, been going yeah. on that's been like trucking along and making money and still True. being relevant so i do like that i just don't know what direction i wanted to take I don't know if I want a TV show. I mean, the idea of a TV show and like it's different. You know, it so being I set, like being that. Had it, it being said in Haddonfield and having like 13, like even if it's not like what Malika Kyle wants, even if it was a Michael Myers story of like 13 episodes dealing with different people, not Laurie Strode. Um, you know, some some people were pitching like random fans were pitching like a Smith's Grove like prequel series that shows like Dr. Loomis like at the, okay. the hospital and all that stuff and like different patients and that leads into like the Michael Myers stuff. Um, what we've kind of learned, though, is that some people don't like Halloween without Michael Myers. So that's a right. That's a, that's a big thing. Um, he is the face of it. Synonymous with that word. Um, there's also people like Danielle Harris. We've talked about her before. You know, she was Jamie Lloyd in Halloween four and five. She also was Annie in the Halloween remake and its sequel. You know, she's a fan favorite amongst the horror fans. She's not like a mainstream favorite, so she's not like a Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, if you were to ask like a regular person, like, do you know who Danielle Harris is? They're like, no. no. But if you were to ask a horror fan, they'd be like, oh, oh little girl from Halloween four and five. Like, and they love her. Like, she yes. is in, amongst horror circles. She's considered a very popular final girl, even though she was young when she made those movies. She would love to come back and continue Jamie's story as an adult. I know there are some fans that would want to see that, but I don't think it's mainstream enough for them to do that idea. And you're kind um, of pigeonholing yourself a little bit too by going down that right. route. Right. So there's this whole debate of like, do you go to the past? Do you do something new? Oh, like, what do you do with it? Uh, it's happening no matter what. I mean, I and I don't and I have I have no feelings one way or another about Paramount getting it. Um, some people were pitching Ooh. A24. A24 oh. would be, well, be great, but I, I think it'd be too expensive for them to acquire it. I Even agree. though A24 is doing really well, they're not like... They, and they, you know how much like the Exorcist trilogy was for uh, Universal to acquire? It was $400 million. And I don't think A24 has it's that also extra just amount of money. not <laughs> their DNA. Like, they are an 
indie studio they don't produce right you know ip of this magnitude like halloween would be i think too big for a24's britches and just very different from their formula so honestly as much as i would love to see what they would do i honestly yeah. i just don't think that's a good match um i i have mixed feelings about paramount um it uh, although i i it depends on who the showrunner is and who what execs they get to oversee that project but for instance like they really dropped the ball with the Halo show for me. I'm a massive Halo fan growing up, was a huge fan of the game, still am. Yeah. And that show was an abomination as far as I'm concerned. And what they did, that's they what I heard. <laughs> just amazing IP that they could have done so many great things with. Like I think they have with Halloween. So if it does go to Paramount, I'm like, they have massive, massive um, redemption to do. Um, so that would freak me out. I'm also yeah. just in the camp of like, I don't rest necessarily, especially after what I took away from kills and I haven't seen ends, but this will be the year I watch it. I just want a little bit of a break from Michael Myers. And it got me thinking like, he's really the only character of his in his own league, really where we don't have any other characters that have been on screen so consistently for 50 years. Do we like, no, I mean, I think so. They were kind of, they were kind of running neck and neck for a bit through the, like the late seventies, eighties. And, but you know, I think that momentum with, Friday Thirteenth and Nightmare on Elm Street. They haven't they, they've released died anything, off. right? They haven't released anything since their remakes. And like you know, you know, this has been twelve movies, I think, for Halloween. And the character of Michael Myers. That's why I mean that that you're you're right has gone through the seventies, eighties, nineties. That's and, almost like, three, three generations. Yeah. Of people. Like <laughs> yeah. my grandparents and, didn't know what Halloween was. And my everyone and everyone knows who he is. So like exactly from people our age older to little kids are at least aware of who Michael Myers is, at least the so, image. Exactly. You would see the face and you would know, oh, he's a scary yeah. guy with the knife that kills people on Halloween, even if you couldn't name yeah. him. So like, at what point, where does that lid come on top? Like, is this Michael Myers just a character that goes on like uh, forever? Like, is, is he just, where does that, do we just never stop making Halloween movies? Like, that's kind of what I know. makes series special. He's not, like a, he's, not like a, he's not like a ghost face where it's like, oh, there's a different guy under that. Exactly. Uh, now, now they could. Here's the deal: they could, and they might piss people off. This is what happens with Halloween ends, because like it. Yeah, I mean, you were told kind of what. Halloween yeah, I know what happens. That's right. Yeah. So like, some people like that, and I didn't hate that idea. Like I said, you're, I think you're gonna throw chairs, but I didn't hate it <laughs> when I saw it. I it was like, I, I like because John Carpenter, I guess back in the day, he hinted at the idea of like that kind of evil is like is it kind of infects the town. It infects like, you know, individuals. And that's kind of like what that movie was trying to say that it's not just in Michael Myers. It can be in someone else. Now that the problem with doing something like that, like that so late in the game, it's like, well, this is what I'm used to. So I don't want that. That's what most fans were thinking when they saw ends. Like, I don't want some random kid basically doing most of it. And it's not Michael Myers. Like, it's not it, just because he's wearing like the jumpsuit and the mask. I know it's not Michael Myers underneath exactly. there, so it's not the same. So I get, I get it. So maybe that route won't work either. So you're right. I don't know. Like it's if the <sighs> Michael Myers that we get in these projects will be probably the Michael Myers that we know, and then there's there's no real. I mean, I don't think he yeah. don't do Laurie Strode anymore. I mean, even if you no. don't get I me, mean, Jamie Lee Curtis is never coming back, right? But like, even if you, even if you're gonna. I even wouldn't even go like the remake route of like what Zombie did. I wouldn't even have another Laurie Strode. I wouldn't have another actress playing her. I would just that's I would keep dumb. Michael though. <laughs> yeah, I, I like keep Michael. With the Smith Grove prequel. I think that would be pretty yeah, cool. That's kind of cool. And I actually don't mind the Jamie Lloyd thing, but I like Halloween mm-hmm. Four and I like Daniel Harris. So like I yeah, I I was like the one good thing that 
Rob Zombie or one of the good things. I, I'm a little easier on the 2007 remake than I was, but one of the good things that he did was really realize that Daniel Harris was a fan favorite amongst horror fans and mm-hmm. cast her in that remake. That and, was a great, yeah. And she was very grateful because you know she felt some kind of way about being left out of H2O and like they gave you know they gave Laurie a son, not a daughter. And then I know it was mentioned on H2O by I forgot who it was on when we talked about it that added insult to injury when they did the 2018 movie and gave her a daughter. And then like, they were like, they didn't even use Daniel Harris. It wasn't even like, at least with like H2O, they were like, Oh, it was a, it was a son, but no. And the new one, they were like, no, we gave you another kid. Who's a girl, not the right. girl that's in these other movies. So I get and she, and she cares about the franchise too. I don't think it is just about her wanting to get another job. I think she, she's very nice to fans at conventions. Like she is aware of, you know, that made her, popular and famous on some in, in those circles right so but i really don't know what i want i mean i like the idea that like these major studios and streamers are fighting over it because it's like wow it's still it's still it's exciting that, that, like, that right that there could be new stuff and we don't know what direction it's going they're gonna go and, in i'll admit that's exciting right. and i don't mind paramount the only ball they Ugh. dropped with scream was like how they handled uh Neff Campbell and her money, but like as far as as far as as far as as far as bringing bringing Scream back, I think they did the best they could with you know, and and I think overall that return worked. Uh, Even if you have issues with five and six, I think they got it back into the mainstream. Both movies made money. They both were critically well loved too. They weren't flops in any regard at all. So they might Halloween might be a good home. I can't. I wouldn't want it at Warner Brothers. Our no, eh? uh, I don't think I wanted that pair. And and I, and I and I don't want it at Twentieth Foxes. That's too Disney adjacent. I don't Ooh, want God, it there. No. I don't want anywhere uh, near Disney. Sony. I mean, oh. they used to make Sony had screen gems. They used to make like kind of like the horror remakes back in the day, and that was right. Uh, uh, but they've yeah, they've made I some feel, shitters uh, too. Lion, Lions Lionsgate is an interesting one that could be a good place for it. Um, I think I think Paramount has more like money behind capital to, yeah to, to pretty to really yeah but yeah i Shit. you know it, this is all very early news i don't know what i want from it i don't know what i need it's exciting time Halloween. though kind of yeah i'm exciting and nervous and i also just hope whatever they develop takes a few years <laughs> to yeah. get off the ground it would be nice to have a breather. and i hope now they're now i hope that they're taking their time with like whoever is bidding on it and what they're pitching them like they really just take the time to be like all right what will work best for the future of the franchise. I know a lot of people were confused yesterday because they thought Universal had their rights, but like Miramax made a pact for those three movies with Blumhouse and Universal with David Gordon Green to make those three, and then they would the rights would then revert back to Miramax. And they can sell it to you know whoever wants to make the movies or TV show or whatever they're doing okay. next. Um I guess the good thing about that franchise is that it's not wrapped up in legal mumbo jumbo. It's like free to like yeah, fly wherever wherever he wants to go. It's a free um, agent. That is nice. And 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 in all the all the granddaddy uh horror franchises, like it's still trucking along. I mean, and still making money. So there's that. I just yeah. I just don't know what I want from it. I mean, it was too early, but I think it's cool that something to follow though for sure. I do I know I'm definitely leaning towards a mini series. I would like a really small six or eight episode mini series would be really good for yeah. that and something we haven't seen yet. So a movie is just we already have 12. Like, what are you going to do in this one that we haven't seen yet? What would you do to reinvent the wheel? Like, yeah, I mean, right. It'd be hard. It would be hard. Um, I would be, I I would be interested in like when they, if it is a movie, like what, 
director they would pick and like how what i mean say i mean i guess say what you want about david gordon green but in the beginning with 2018 i was just those the thing i was most impressed by when i first saw that movie was just the look of it and how close it was to 78 as in terms of like the overall style and feel of it compared yeah. to like all the other sequels so like i thought he did a good job with that and that, and that even came down to like getting the mask like because that, that's a hard thing to get right apparently for these movies and like david gordon green did that right now i know People feel their way about kills and ends. I like I, I think, 2018. I, so I think you. kills. I I think kills is fun and like kills has its moments and it is fun in places. <laughs> but when it's bad, uh, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that, yeah. There, I mean, there's some stuff in it for sure. For sure. But there's some really good individual scenes that are like really, yeah, really it, good. That kind of make like, you like that, okay, like, like it's hard to hate it, but I want to like, hate it. But there's good scenes. Like that whole attack on the car with Lindsay, like Kyle Richards, uh, you know, reprising her role from like the, uh, from Halloween, and like that whole scene is really good. I think the last fifteen minutes or so are pretty good. Like with the stuff with the granddaughter in the house and her boyfriend, like when he kills oh, her boyfriend, he kills the boyfriend, who's pretty scene. much already, who's pretty much already dead, and he just had insult to injury, just walking I by him was... and like turning around and just like <laughs> and just stopping him down. Yeah. I was like, yeah, this is hilarious. That was <laughs> awesome. Like, I laughed in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> and you know i i even like the whole like townspeople like attacking him i mean i got really confused by the end of it like what they were trying to uh, say about michael myers scene a, was shot really terribly i thought yeah how he yeah it took them all out eventually kills, <laughs> and like it's just shot so weirdly you just get like close-ups of him butchering them instead of like if we had got like a one take for instance would have been really yeah. really cool but uh, yeah, film really weird. Could have been awesome. And I don't, I don't know if I can dive into the teleportation and killing Judy Greer at the end of that. Yeah, I don't know how that's... he got back, how he got, how he got back in the house. And, well, I uh... mean, he is to an extent supernatural. So I mean, oh. I mean, it is, it's inconsistent in in terms of like his ability. But I guess it's nuanced enough that it didn't really bother me too much. And I'm just like, I'm, I was like, okay, good. At least he kills somebody of significance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that was the one thing. So I did like. Judy Greer yeah. in 2018, I didn't love her because I was like, oh, she's annoying. But that was like the part. Oh, right? I she thought she was like, annoying I, too. That was the role. And then towards the end, of course, in the end, she has the whole like gotcha thing with the shotgun. I was like, all right, you made up for like a little bit, like all that stuff. By the time you get to the second one, she is better and because she's finally accepted like what is happening to them. Right. And I was, but I, but I did respect because we talked about that with Scream 6. I respected that they took one important person out uh, of the three. If they were going to kill, I didn't want them to kill Lori, of course. And I kind of figured when they didn't, and that, she didn't really live up to this. But I really thought the granddaughter was going to be kind of another Lori stroke because they really set her up that way in twenty eight, the twenty eighteen movie. Yeah, be like to be like uh, her grandmother went, was when she was younger. But I did love that they killed someone else that was important. I now we now, when we saw her for the first time at Beyond Fest, everyone was pissed off and they liked her uh, by the end <laughs> right. of the movie. Uh, but I thought it was necessary. So <laughs> I, well, I agree. It was necessary to take somebody out. What I think would have been a cool approach would have been to him. Cause we know we have Lori as like the, the grandmother. And then she has a daughter, uh, which was Judy Greer. And what was the name of her again? The character? Why, why am I, uh, Oh, I wasn't sure if we brought it I? up or not anyway, but Judy Greer as Lori's daughter. Yeah. And then Allison, the granddaughter. Karen, I would have, oh, Karen, 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 Karen. Karen. Oh my God. How could we yeah, forget yeah, that? Yeah, she yeah, is a Karen. Yeah. I thought yeah. it would really be cool for Michael to like end kills with killing Allison, even though she's kind of set up as like the main of that trilogy. So I get why they didn't. But if he had started working his way up the bloodline to Lori and then them have the face off in the last movie for him to defeat him, yeah. I think that would have been a much cooler approach. Kind of like he's working his way up to her. 
because yeah. he's had some years of not being able to like because he's as established in the other Halloweens. He's trying. He's you know her brother and for yeah, whatever yeah. you know trying to take her out. So it would be right. for him to go through the bloodline. But whatever, I, I'm not complaining that much. But I still got to see I, ends before I make up my mind. I will say, I forgot. I forgot. I mean, even the stuff with the boyfriend that was cool. I did love because it just like just shows how badass Michael Myers is in that scene where she mm. comes out with the gun and she tries to shoot him and he like knocks it away. She misses, and yeah. then she has the knife and she starts just stabbing him over and over again. And it does like nothing right to him. and he basically grabs her again and like just throws her down the stairs and then she like i don't know if she breaks her ankle or something like something cracks when she hits the ground yeah and it's just like it's just a series of like dude this dude is like there's like no stopping this guy like whatsoever and but i do like with those characters too they show that they can hold her own like she wasn't like a completely like innocent, no you know she could she could do I, I mean i just it just didn't live up i guess for a lot of people and i could see that i mean with those characters yeah. what they what they should have been didn't yeah to, it's hype, also there's some inconsistency that bothers me and kill like when you think about the original like laurie like incapacitates him with a coat hanger in the eye and like now <laughs> yeah. he's just taking like and literally anything that's thrown in the throat exactly and uh but so it kind of just bothers me that way but i yeah, i don't know there's just a lot it's a mixed bag that series so bottom line being whatever they do with the whoever buys the rights they have yeah. some big shoes of fill and a lot of expectations to be met. So I would not be envious of whatever studio head is in charge of that zoo. I agree. Um, I guess I, that's a good thing to set it up because we were just talking about like the women. I, I thought when I was approaching this, I was like, was I going to bring up something about the whole concept of the final girl? But I wanted to bring this up too because I hear this a lot yeah. about horror movies. Um, do you think that horror movies, like some critics think they are, are misogynistic? and kind of demeaning towards women or do you think because by the end of the movie the person that is usually the survivor is a strong female lead so shouldn't that show some level of that the movie is empowering women in some way <laughs> i feel that some movies do it better than others like there's too many to just say that it's like a blanket statement like yeah definitely some movies out there um portray females in a negative way um and don't give them the time to empower them. But of course it's such a steady trope in horror that, yeah, like you can definitely gleam that the horror, yeah. I think one way or another, I feel like the horror franchise definitely skewed towards women in terms of like the final girl being, you just associate them more with like a female presence in the end. Yeah. Um, I guess it really comes down to like, and there'd be tons of examples that if I had prepared an answer, I would probably would have liked to touch on, but um, tons that are, do a terrible job in how they handle their female characters. Um, not that I think he does a terrible job, but one that comes to mind, like Rob Zombie across most of his like horror movies, like just is very crude of women. Um, yeah. He's like not shying away from like violence depicted against women, um, which I don't think like as a whole, obviously is a terrible thing, but in terms of movies, I think that boundary is a little bit more skew, not as solid because it's art. It's a picture. You're telling a story and it, nothing should really be off off limits yeah. to an extent um unless you get into movies like a serbian film and all that good stuff but yeah i don't think i feel like one way or another it really depends like you could have that conversation about a particular franchise or movie or director um but not one way or another do i feel that way um there was another part of what you asked in that question that i wanted to touch on that i've lost my train of thought on um well 
Oh, do I, do I think they're inherently misogynistic? Like horror movies? Oh, okay, yeah. I also think there are a lot of examples where, um, when that is part of the discourse, like a particular movie and its um, depiction of women, be it misogynistic or that they're incapable or inferior, I think there's plenty of examples of people reaching and sort of like looking for stuff that isn't necessarily there, which is the case with anything. Like, there's you're gonna have multiple opinions on what's being depicted in any given piece of art. In this case, like a movie. Um, right. But I don't think anything's set. And so there's definitely some clear examples of that, that I couldn't really think off the top of my head that will probably, well, come I, to me as, but yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the Rob zombie thing. Cause like my issue with, I'm just going to use Halloween as an example again, right? His depiction of, of Lori across two movies. I mean, I guess I get it in the second one cause she's dealing with trauma and like, right. That there's that, but, but in the oh, 2007 oh, yeah. movie, the 2007 movie, she's no different from her two friends. So like they are all right. kind of annoyingly like helpless, crowded, like, screaming, and, yeah. like, uh, and like they're very. And then so like the key difference between Lori and Carpenter's movie and her friends is she was clearly different from her two best friends. Like she was, and not to say that her two best friends were terrible because Annie's funny and Linda's funny, but their yeah. priorities were in a different place, right? They were all about yes. boys and drinking and doing all that stuff and Lori wasn't exactly. Lori was you know for for lack of a better word or term like a good girl like compared to the other two yeah exactly and that is what made her stand out and like John Carpenter I guess was asked like you know because they always talk about like well the whole concept of like oh if you have sex in a horror film you die and is that what you're trying to say if you're promiscuous in a horror film you die, I mean, he and he's always been like that trope. <laughs> well, he well he did, but he said he's like that's not. I don't. He's like that's not the answer though. He was like, you know, Lori isn't surviving because she's not having sex. She is paying attention Res to things more compared to her friends who are preoccupied, she's resourceful, doing right. doing other things. They are preoccupied by other facts of life and other things that they're doing, and she isn't. And it's not the concept of like these characters are dying because they're promiscuous. They are right. just not paying attention. And I think people want a bigger, deeper meaning to that. And there are some scholars that still think that there are some horror writers that punish women in these movies because they're being promiscuous. But like at the end of the day, I think you like, you do have it by the end of it. It's usually a strong female lead that wins right over over uh, you know over evil at the end of the day. I mean, if you look at something like Scream, if you just want to even even if you don't want to talk about the fifth one, if you just go to the four with Sydney, that is a clear arc from like one to four where you're watching this girl grow from a right. teenager into a woman and she goes from like being a victim of her circumstances to taking control of them and uh being able to not be a victim so like that is a testament of a strong female character in a horror film um i think another underrated one like ashley lawrence and hellraiser i she doesn't have a lot to do mm. but uh, but she's not just there to you know kind of be window dressing like she's more like she is strong right. and that's important too and uh, you know i think what kind of gets skewed here too is that you have like the friday the 13th movies where a lot of the girls in the movies are you know they're there to get naked they're there to die that's the kind of like how those movies are exactly movies exist coming and, back to like, but, there's movies that do it better than others and some definitely right. lean that way and some there's more of right. you know more to be said like in carpenter's case but even in, but even their final girl tends to be resourceful and smart. In the first one, Alice is resourceful and smart. Uh, a lot of people, part two, Amy Steele is a fan favorite final girl in that in that franchise. She's resourceful and very smart. Uh, she's the one in that second one that actually uses the psychology of like 
pretending to be Jason's mother to like confuse him and stuff. So there's like, okay, there, it's you know, there's not all every character in those movies aren't. I mean, I just like an indie, I guess you ever think about it like any friend group, there's gonna be certain types of people in the group, and I think that's what these movies try to represent sometimes is that they are there are different walks of life here, and I don't think most of them are trying to say anything about women in particular. And I, I mean, and we kind of talked about this with Wolf Creek because like Robert Ebert had issues with how you know the violence against women in that movie, right? And I think it's kind of missing the point, but also you're op- you're open to interpretation, your own opinion, uh, uh, what that is. Um, I've never, even at a young age, I never viewed them as something that was completely demeaning to women because I think at the end of the day, like you have that final girl that's there usually. Right. Uh, well, even if that wasn't I, the case, I don't think I would look at movies that way. Like you have your antagonist who's there to kill as many of the protagonists as possible. And regardless of the gender of those people, like there's going to be violence committed and some of them are going to die. And I don't really think it's ever been motivated against one or the other. That's never how right. I've looked at it. Um, I just wanted to touch on like what you said about the point of like how some directors punish like their female characters for having sex what i always like gleaned more about that and like certainly like there's franchises and specific movies that you could that would that might be more apparent of a theme in like the friday the 13th for example i've always looked yeah. at it and i kind of thought of this like rewatching um freddie versus jason recently and even the original halloween there's i think it just really when you have your show your characters like engage in sex and like right after it's just more of a state of vulnerability, like where their guard is down. That's maybe why we see so much of that trope or so many characters die during or just after having sex in a horror movie because their guard is down because they're vulnerable. It's just an easy, it's like low hanging fruit more so than let's punish these characters because they're being promiscuous. Sure. That definitely was probably more of a prevalent theme in like the seventies where that was so taboo and maybe the eighties or the sixties more so back then. But I think that it has evolved over horror cinema, like the legacy of that genre. And it's not so black yeah. and white. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think it's some of the best horror movies too. I mean, like if you're looking at Halloween, if you're looking at Nightmare on Elm Street, like all these characters are very smart on top of the fact, mm. you know, like they're resourceful. They're not just there to be vulnerable. I mean, there is a vulnerability there uh, that like, I, I think that's why the sense of they're in danger kind of frightens the audience. But then eventually they, you know, they kind of rise up against that. Like, I've always loved, like, I always loved the Indian Night Run on the Street where she realizes what she has to do to get rid of him. Like, right. what she has, like, you know, like, you know, like, I all this fear, all this power, like, I'm taking it back. And, mm-hmm. and, then, then, and then demanding what she wants back from him. Like, I want right. my mother and my friends again. Like, and, like, I think that's such a smart, now, the overall ending of that movie with the whole, like, grabbing <laughs> the mom from the window. I think right. that ruins that. But, like, the overall, what that, I think Wes Craven's button on that because I think that's a studio button at the end of the uh, movie. Certainly, yeah. Uh, Without a doubt. But like Wes, Wes Craven's button on that says a lot. And I've been having her realize that at the end, like, you know, almost like this is like, I'm not fighting with you anymore. And then like, mm-hmm. this is, you know, he, you know, he, he practically raises up behind her to like finish her off. And then she's kind of like, no, this is it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm taking back every ounce of power that I gave you. And, and that's how he lives. And then, and of course they've carried that on through the other movies too. That's how he, he really thrives on that fear mm-hmm. and all that. So I think, uh, I don't like, I, it's a great question. You know, maybe, <laughs> I think, I think, I think maybe you can like look at, you can find it and there might be a writer director that did approach it that way. 
and had something very negative to say about women. But I think overall, uh, I think it's a genre that respects them. In the way. I mean, they, there are some horror actresses that have said that they've never felt more empowered than when they were in a horror movie. So I think that has a lot to do uh, with it, too. I mean, they write really strong, usually female characters. And then exactly not everyone and not everyone needs to be like the lead. There is going to be that one that's just a flighty friend that dies. There's also like the dumb jock dude that dies, too. And like a lot of people don't really say anything about that's that right. either. Exactly. And then you know, and then occasionally, and then occasionally you get the final guy in some movies. It's not, it's rare, but like a lot of horror, some horror movies do end with like a, a male uh, protagonist at the end surviving and Evil Dead. Those movies get, and then those movies get studied a lot too about what they mean about having like a final guy instead of you know, I don't you know Nightmare on Elm Street two has that as a lot more layers, uh, right? Than, uh, a couple of the Friday the Thirteenth, right, with Tommy Jarvis, Tom, Tommy Jarvis, like yeah. across three of them. Um, there's a lot to be said about that trope, and I, I do kind of like when they do break away from it. Like, it's interesting to have a final guy at the end because I think mm -hmm. the concept of having a guy is like, oh, like he could easily take out so and so, but like, right, they set, they set things up when there is a final dude where it wouldn't be that easy for yeah. them to do it. Um, and then it kind of breaks away from the norm to like, you know, instead of having a final girl, you have like a guy that survives at the end of it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but yeah, it's really, I mean, a lot of these things get asked a lot and they're like, even when you have directors that dismiss it as like, well, that's not what I was right. trying to do. You still have people that study these movies that are like, no, there's no way you can't tell me that they're not punishing women for this. And like, you know, sex is bad. Like, you know, that kind of, I mean, of course, I mean, they make fun of it and scream. Like, you know, if you want to exactly. survive a horror movie, you can never have, you can never have sex, but, exactly. it, but it's not, it's not the act that is killing them. It's the fact that, like you said, they are, that they're distracted. It, it, their their guard is down. It's not about the act itself. Exactly. That is Vulnerability itself. sort of thing. And that you can have that conversation and how that relates to women in particular as well. But I got to give yeah. praise um, and by no means the first time on this podcast because you guys covered it, but for uh, to It Follows for covering that particular topic and sex yeah. and horror movies and its implications and whatnot too. So I'm and what that watching that too. Are... Yeah. 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 In a very smart way too. They tell the exactly. In a more modern time setting, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I would. God, another thing I might throw to the listeners and ask them how they feel about, you know, that's a how women are treated question. in these yeah. in these movies. I, I think um, just because I've seen so many examples of like any horror movie where there it's just like a strong female lead that makes it towards the end, and she's not just a pretty face, and they're not just relying on that to like mm -hmm. get her through the whole movie. Like, you know, uh, I think that's why. I mean, I've I've had you know friends who. Uh, just like that, th those characters mean a lot to them. Like a lot, especially a lot of girls that watch these movies. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of my friends who are gay, lesbian who watch these movies too. Like right. they, they identify with these characters a lot more. Um, and that's why a, a lot of them like horror movies because like usually that person, that usually the lead at the end is someone's like a little bit misunderstood, not quite like the popular person, like a little you know, right, little An left underdog. to center, so, an underdog. Yep. And like there's yep. a lot to be said, about, and that and they have that person that mostly be a female and uh, be underestimated and then sh prove that she shouldn't be underestimated. I think that genre probably more than any of them showcases them in a light that is much stronger than maybe other genres do sometimes. For the most part, I definitely can agree with that. And I think it's a fantastic talking point too. 
Um, and that was us, us giving 15 minutes to a very big topic, but I just like <laughs> <Yeah. not. laughs> one that deserves discussion too, and something we haven't really touched on um, yeah. before. So I think that was fantastic. Um, I like this this theme of pitching different sort of questions like that to each other too, whether it be something about a particular director or just a theme in horror. Something yeah, for we can sure. expect more of from these episodes in these particular months yeah. too, which I really enjoy talking about, just because that's the stuff that we love. It's our bread and butter. Yeah, and, uh, and yeah. Uh, it's interesting to think about and it's like probably one of those things too when this is over like we re- where we're done recording today i'm like oh, i should have brought that up and they're like maybe i might Man, bring it up the next time we record so, yeah <laughs> exactly like by the way before we get too into things i had to keep reiterating on this point from last episode i think about that all the time i'm like damn it why didn't i yeah. think of this the yeah. human brain is so annoying for that yeah for sure um, uh, but yeah but we'll, we'll definitely have another episode like this where it's not oh, so no much doubt. movie focused exactly um, but on that note though yeah. maybe in a little bit more lighthearted tone um because this is one of the questions that you pitched, but I was curious, what was the first, or I guess, what's your earliest memory of like a, a horror movie that you would watch? Or like, what would you consider the first horror movie that you watched? Or if there's several, because some of my memories, I can't tell what was first. So it would be Halloween or, and I know Gremlins isn't really considered a horror movie, but it was scary to me when I was a As kid. As a kid, so like, yeah, for and, sure. Yeah, uh, Gremlins was one of them and Halloween was pretty... They were around the same time, and I was pretty young. I saw Grimm- I always mission Hellraiser being seven or eight. But uh, yeah, I saw I'm Halloween that I, on an earlier episode. I saw that Halloween when I was like, I saw Halloween when I was like five, and Jesus. like so that was very young. Uh, it, I think it would be like Halloween, Gremlins, Child's Play, Hellraiser, okay. like the first few. I saw Nightmare on Elm Street surprisingly late. I was like early teens. I was like. 13, 14 when I saw Nightmare well, Gremlins was a movie that I only came to appreciate in adulthood. I've only seen it for the first time two years ago. Oh, I never good. saw it and, growing up. I saw and, clips. And, but... and a Christmas movie. Well, yeah, my because <laughs> I'm tough with Christmas movies, so that would be one that yeah. I set aside. I watched it the last two Christmases, actually. Yeah. And really uh, like the movie. What would be yours? Again, like the structure of my memories, like I don't know what is what. Um, one of the earlier examples is Alien versus Predator. I remember that being on like Spike, the, the ch- TV channel, like just watching that on t- cable channel with my dad growing up. I would have been like as young as I can remember some of my earliest memories. Um, so yeah, the Alien versus Predator probably probably would be the first one. Um, but in 2007, when I Am Legend came out, I'm, I'm nine at that point or maybe eight, depending on the time of the year. Um, that yeah. was one of the, one of the, at least like the first theatrical horror movies that I'd seen, and one that one of the few that gave me nightmares. I remember waking up that night and being terrified <laughs> of those creatures. And actually, I've read the book since, and the book is fantastic too. It's a little bit different; they're more like traditional vampires in Richard Matheson's novel, but very very good read too for those that like the movie. Um, yeah, for and I've always had this deep appreciation and sort of. Uh, I kind of give like a pass to Alien versus Predator because I you know I've recognized its you know quality issues. as a movie is issues <laughs> over the years is not I don't look at it with the rose colored glasses I did when I was a kid now like right. looking at it from like more of an analytical point of view um, but I still give it the pass like it's still a movie that means a lot to me because of when I'd seen it and how often because I saw it a lot growing up too it was just one of those movies I had my hands on like on a DVD and then. Funny enough, another one, and this is one that I would love to talk about whenever the timing is appropriate. I'm sure we won't get to it this year, but it would fit the theme of spooky season. But have you ever seen, maybe we've talked about it before, but you ever see uh, 2005's Doom with The Rock? Yeah. 
with a rock yeah. <laughs> some i'll never forget like it's one of those memories i have where i don't know if it's like manufactured a little bit or if it's like genuine it's like that far back but that movie came out in 2005 so i think it was that christmas some relative that probably didn't know me that well just gifted me that like it was under the tree at christmas I remember unwrapping that dvd and there's no way my parents got that um and i've had that deep it's one of my earliest dvds i'd ever collected and i've seen it with cam actually because we grew up together probably a million times and definitely a horror movie but saw that way too young that movie's like 18a like it is super violent and yeah. gory and uh, full of profanity but <laughs> i don't look at it as like a traditional horror movie even though it has all those elements and the video game is adapted from is fucking terrifying too but yeah. another one of the earlier examples and i have a lot of love for that movie just because of those that youthful right. rose-colored glasses i look at it with but i would yeah. love to d- deep dive that sometime too i was actually when yep. we were when we did killer joe that was a, a front runner for what i was gonna pick oh that would oh it would have been, been for sure yeah that would be funny oh that's awesome yeah so yeah. that was my early ones uh there were some good ones in the beginning but way too young to watch them there's some that I young. wish I had seen when I was younger because I think I would appreciate them more because I don't know what it is about when you see a movie. But there's some movies yeah. that I know that are classics or that a lot of people love that I just get too late. And I'm like, ah, it, just, it doesn't resonate with me. And I yeah. really wish I'd seen them. But that's why I try to get as many first-time watches in as possible just so I can put, you know, see them the younger the possible. The younger the better, I guess, sometimes. Yep, I don't know sure. if that's a phenomenon, but yeah. Yep. You got another one or do you want me to throw one? I was hoping you would throw one, uh, unless we get to the strike. News okay, uh, all right, I got you. Only because okay. we, we talked about we talked about the finer girl thing. Uh, I will say, uh, the one that says you're in a horror movie. Are you the finer girl, the first to die, the comic mm. relief, the skeptic, the smart one, or the killer? Ooh. I mean, I want or the killer. Oh, that's killer, a good killer. <laughs> I can't really go with that. <laughs> Depending on the movie, there'd be, there's because there's a lot of cool, I guess like horror movie villains. I think would be are neat. But I want to go with the smart one, but that's too like cliche because having all this knowledge, if you will, of horror movies and how they operate, you'd think that if you knew that you were in one, you could get out of it. But I think I would be somewhere between the comic relief and um, maybe the first to die, (laughs) probably just being realistic. (laughs) I was going to say the skeptic, the skeptic, the skeptic. That's what I I meant to say. I couldn't be the skeptic because like I it's funny because when I watch horror movies, the one thing that frustrates me is when there's clearly something wrong going on. All this evidence is in front of a character and they refuse. And then there's always that one character is like, oh, I just don't know. You're like, you're driving yourself crazy. It's just this house or like something stupid like that. And you're like, come on. Like there's so many examples of what's going on. So it's easy to see that as a viewer. Yeah. 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 Because I would just like, you know, you might throw like, I think this place is haunted. I'd be like, you know what? Let's look at probably that. right. Yeah. <laughs> Why yeah. test fate? Like you said last yeah. episode. Um I think that me, would be comic relief or first to die. Yeah. Which okay. Is, comic uh, relief. I, I'm rarely too serious unless the situation necessarily calls for it, but I can find the humor in anything. And so I'm usually cracking honestly, jokes. Both tend to be like black people things. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> You'd be so dynamite you in a horror movie. Like, um, um I don't know. I mean, I and when I say first to die, I mean I'm not, I don't think I'd be good like I would hope I'd be able to escape certain situations like that, but you know, like you're in dire kind of straits. I mean, I don't know. It just depends uh, on what right. that situation is. Uh, yeah, but I definitely I wouldn't be the killer. I'm not none of us exactly. are evil on here. And um, 
that would be the skeptic either because I would most likely believe anything you threw at me. <laughs> for sure. Like, so for how I operate, I usually try and find the most logical answer in things. So like, especially when it yeah. comes to something like paranormal or horror related, that stuff that I don't necessarily tend to like believe in very strongly in the real world, I feel like I would just look for more logical answers before I got on board. So that's why I can see myself being a skeptic character, but that's not to say I don't believe in anything. I'm not a complete stick in the mud, but yeah. Well, they were- yeah. I'm yeah, no, that's, that. a, that's a great little mental exercise. I feel like that would be a good like personality question, like in a group of like, like an icebreaker. No, that would be a good one. I think that would be good. Um, if all your friends are like, no, you'd be the first to die. I'm like, well, thanks. Yeah. And to have to pick for other people to assign <laughs> that role to your friends would be yeah. a fun little exercise. Yep. Um, um, yeah, that's, that was a good one. I'm glad we could cut those together for some reels. Um, yeah. Well, it's funny that we, we both were like, yeah, come relief for first to die. Are you? Oh, yeah. And I, yeah. <laughs> and skeptical a little there. bit to me for sure. It's yeah. a little bit skeptical. Um, I gotta be a little practical. I would probably die in a horror movie. I can't uh, say I'd get out of them all. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so we're gonna wrap this up with two things. I'm not gonna spend too much time on it, but we just had to mention it because it was a big part of the show for like the last <laughs> hundred, 146 days. Is that uh, how long it's been? Oh my uh, god. That's how long it was. Uh, the Writers Guild of America finally reached a tentative deal uh, with uh, the AMP. TP who represents the studios. Um, the uh, terms of said deal are not going to be revealed until after the WGA officially signs on the dotted line to approve the deal. But according to like the people in charge of WGA West and WGA East, they said that the deal is exceptional and really uh, represents what they want moving forward. So um that's a good very good sign um yes. that uh, a lot of people will be able to get back to work very soon now here's some caveats i heard because of Ooh. wanting to send in solidarity with sag they necessarily don't want to get back to work until sag gets their right deal too which is fair you know they, yeah they that's a good some, what, good move once they went on once they went on strike they stood in solidarity with the writers so that i mean that makes sense and i think they have not uh, they have leverage now to be like hey give us a similar deal to what you gave to the writers so i think that might make things easy uh or for negotiations and oh, i hear they're meeting with meeting within a few days uh sag and the am ptp so i would have killed to be a fly on that wall in that negotiating room like with all yeah, the execs I, and the representatives of the uh wga man i would have loved to know just how like who crap i get well obviously i'm sure yeah, we'll know I, in the coming days so but, yeah, yeah we'll know exactly what they what they'll get but i'm, I'm assuming it, it was like it it had to do with i'm sure they got a better cut with residuals in on the streaming era and i think the ai thing probably had to be addressed uh thoroughly so yeah so i think that is positive um quickly what you'll probably get back first is what you lost first um late night tv you'll probably come back first uh amongst the entertainment uh programs uh talk shows will be a close second uh coming back right away i think snl is eyeing a return in October, but they won't have actors or actresses who are guests because they're a part of SAG. Because if, if they're still striking, they won't be able to do it. So you're going to see a lot of probably athletes trying to be funny on SNL. Mm, okay. Um, uh, those will be the first things to come back. But you know, uh, everyone can pick up their pins again and fire up their final drafts on their computers. That's awesome. Um, I think that this is ending in a when a in a decent amount of time where you we it's going to be a shorter fall TV season, but you'll still get one uh shorter than normal though and um 
Also, I think uh, we're going to probably hear a lot in the coming weeks about a lot of the deals that were probably being negotiated for future projects ahead of the strike. So you might get a lot of news. Uh, oh, okay, good. Uh, uh, moving forward, like once this kind of is solidified and that uh, might jeopardize our completely. October a little bit. <laughs> well, so yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Take your time. Yeah. Take your time. Take your time, guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're already gotten this far. So <laughs> for our sake. Take your time. Um, um, crazy yeah, though. It's, yeah, it's a good. It's a good thing. Oh, fantastic. I'm sure if it was any other time of the year, this would have been what we led this episode off with, with that news, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. We, yeah, I yeah. covered it so much, but Definitely. obviously we could not let you guys go without knowing that. Um, yeah. Crazy though. Three days short of five whole complete months. That's uh, quite the tenure. Yeah. Because the last, the 2008, 2007 and eight strike was how many days? Like 115. It was in the, like somewhere around there, I think. Okay. All right. My, okay. And then the longest one's 148. So um, they were very close. <laughs> one day shy. Yeah. They were really oh, close to it. Wow. And there, there are some people online being like, "Well, we can say that it doesn't end till we sign it." But like, I think everyone's looking at the end of it being like, "We struck a deal." Day wow. one forty six. Well, day one forty six. If you want to get technical, uh, uh, still a long time. Uh, a lot of people yeah. want to work for a really long time on this. So exciting that it's over. And yeah, just got now now give SAG uh their proper deal so you don't have to delay any more movies and we can get people promoting their movies again. Uh some of us can start doing interviews again. That'd be great. Um yeah, yeah that's a part a big part of the job. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, Super very happy stuff. for everyone involved. Absolutely. Yeah, hopefully, sure. um yeah, hopefully the actors are next. All right. Well, let's uh end this with some horror movie box office because Saw 10 is opening this weekend. Right. Um, they've been they've been marketing the hell out of it. Um, the really clever marketing stuff they've been doing lately. Um, a screening I'm going to is tomorrow. The embargo list pretty early, so I think they're confident Ooh, in what they have. Okay. Uh, so there's that. Yeah, um, it's hard to compare the place. Yeah, for marketing. It, now I'm going to say this: it's hard to compare the box office for the last because Spiral came out in the oh, middle of God. the. In yeah. the middle of the pandemic, and it Did was see that? like, I yeah, I saw it at the theater. That was like one of the first few movies I saw when everything reopened. Oh, okay, and I, I can't remember if we it, talked about that movie or not. It's not. It's not really. Oh, I, actually, you know, I feel like I should watch it again. I what I, how I felt about it at the time was like it was okay. Okay. Um. Um. But that was an eight point seven million dollar opening. But again, this was hard. Like, to, yeah, that's. Co- Kind of doesn't count. Yeah, I thought it was a piece of shit, though. Just for just my <laughs> take, I did not like Spiral at all. But and then Jigsaw, I think, was the one right before that, uh, twenty seventeen. Yes. Um, that opened to sixteen point six million on the ten million dollar budget, uh, mm. grossed thirty eight million dollars domestic and one hundred and two point nine million worldwide. Still was a hit. Um, and you know it kind of brought it. Uh, it, it you know that that the saw there was that saw final chapter that came out before that. And that was supposed to be the end of it. Um, yeah, and then, and then Jigsaw. Times. Uh, this, I mean, I what this takes place between one and two, or two and three, or something like that. One and two, uh, I think. One and two. Um, and they seem to be promoting it on like a more old school level. So, um, I and if reviews are good, I feel like people are excited for it from what I can see. And it's coming out at the right time. It's like right at the beginning of. Yeah, season. it's a great it get, time for that. Oddly enough, it only gets like a a, a week to itself because I think the Exorcist is opening what, next week on the sixth, so right. it really only has one week of uh, horror movie box office to itself. But I'm 
How you feeling I think about it's it? gonna. I think it's gonna go above Jigsaw like significantly. The sixteen point six million. That that was the last one. I'm not even counting Spiral as. Uh, I don't. Yeah, it's hard to. Uh, fuck that movie. Um. Um. I'm just curious I'm what the target audience of this movie is, because like, if it's coming, it's taking place in between a movie that is 15, 16, 17 years old. So like, I think a lot of the younger generation that probably knows what Saw is and are going just for the traps and the gory kills might not yeah. be able to like get the nuance of the story. But obviously, there's the older audience that has grown up with these movies. Yeah. That's going to be all about that. But I don't know who is going to really go to show. Like, I'm expecting people to show up, but I'm curious the demographic that's really gonna make the bulk of this movie's box office True. money but um i mean i'm thinking that maybe this might could get some of the older fans back in who yeah maybe like were like gave up on it certainly i'm go- i'm going with an even 30 that probably too high okay like, going with that 30, okay. 30 million dollar yeah 30 i like it yeah that's uh ambitious um watch you be totally right because i'm gonna go lower it's just a matter of how much i want to go like I'm going to give it like a 23. So that's a $7 million gap. I'm confident yep. in it though. I believe, I agree with you. I think it's going to do better than Jigsaw. I think the marketing has been spot on for this movie. The, the AMC parody, parody oh, that was great. was awesome. <laughs> that was, Which, yeah, how, that do was they, really how do they do that? How are they well, able to I think because, that? I think because it's parody, it's safe. I mean, I forgot what the exact rules are when it comes to like oh, I see. spoofing something like that. But AMC okay. did, make, uh, did make the Saw official Twitter page take it down. Um, oh, but everyone else, oh. but everyone, but but everyone has shared it at that point, so it was too late. Right, <laughs> it I was see. all it was all over TikTok and everywhere else. So no was... one's in like trouble for making that and putting that out there. No, 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 it's in okay. trouble. No, cool. Uh, so yeah, thirty from me, twenty three for you. I guess we will know next week, and then the Exorcist yeah. will be a fun one. To that'll uh... be a fun one because I, I don't even know where to start with that. Well, <laughs> it'd be kind of fun to I guess compare it to uh, twenty eighteen Halloween's just for David Gordon Green's. Uh... Yeah, that was like, that was like a seventy two million dollar opening. I don't see that. Holy happening. fuck! Okay, I don't know that. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, uh, but we'll see. Yeah, we shall see. Okay. All right. Well, this is a fun episode. Uh, I know back we did to talk basics about a little bit. Back to basics, but all mostly horror movie related, other than the writer's strike. Uh, right. We will be going back to. I don't know what guests we're going to have yet. I've I've kneeled down guests for Halloween four, and I believe the Texas Chainsaw stuff. Okay. Um, still trying to narrow down one for the Exorcist and the James fitting Warren. in the James, James yeah. one. Yeah. Um. But uh, the Exorcist will be. Oh, and then Hellraiser. I haven't done that yet either. But I will figure. I'll figure it out. We got lots but of time. The, yeah, but the Hellraiser one, uh, the Exorcist one, will be next because uh, well, we are going to talk about the original um the week that um Exorcist Believer opens. So that will be our next uh Tales of Horror with a special guest. Uh, and hopefully we can fit one of these in there again too. That were just like this, with just yeah. uh, and kind of like just shooting the shit. Exactly. I would really like that because it's been nice to go back to back to basics for a bit while still maintaining that theme of horror stuff. So yeah, I'm sure yep. we'll have lots to talk about. Maybe now with the strike coming to a tentative end or one of the strikes coming to a tentative end, that might give us yeah. some more news to squeeze in there too. Um, Probably. It'd be nice too if it's like some horror related news. Maybe we could combine some of that in the episodes, but still yeah. lots of good stuff to come out. And for those that were just listening um, that maybe want to jump on an episode, there's still a couple slots there that are open for those of you maybe that were looking to jump in on a conversation we got uh i guess stay tuned to the socials because we will put that up there for uh, the episodes that we need a guest for but still lots of room time to join us for uh back to the blockbusters tales of horror series continuing until october 31st that sweet sweet day yep. yeah 
until then, I guess this has been episode 124. Thank you very much, guys, for tuning in this week and listen to us chat about our favorite genre and just our favorite stuff in general. It's always a pleasure to uh, have you guys join us for this. So, yeah, thanks a lot for tuning in, guys. Um, for those of you that are new, you guys can find us anywhere on our socials and wherever you guys get your podcasts at Back to the Blockbuster. For you iPhone users out there, make sure to download the Playlist app on the iOS store. And until next time, guys, this has been Gaius and Jackson. Thanks a lot. Stay safe out there and enjoy your spooky season.